This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, I'm Mona Tonchev, president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. John Sanjeevani and I are the co-hosts for the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. To finish up the Bold Leadership Series, we have invited speakers to sit down with us and discuss what equity means to them and share with us their experiences and stories of leadership actions that support our journey as math leaders. We have two special guests today, Beth Cobet and Karen Karp, talking about leading strengths-based teaching and learning in mathematics. Dr. Beth McCord Cobet is a professor of education at Stevenson University, where she teaches and supports early childhood elementary and middle pre-service teachers in mathematics education. She is a former classroom teacher, elementary math specialist, adjunct professor, and university supervisor. Beth also serves as a director of the first year seminar program and a faculty fellow for the Teaching and Learning Center at Stevenson University. She is currently serving a three-year term as an elected board member for NCTM, National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, and was a former president of the Association of Maryland Mathematics Teacher Educators. Beth is a recipient of the Math Educator of the Year Award from the Maryland Council of Teachers of Mathematics and the John Hopkins University Distinguished Alumni Award. Beth also received Stevenson University Rose Dawson Award for Excellence in Teaching. Beth believes in fostering a strength-based strength building community, that was a long one, with her students and strives to make her classroom space inviting, facilitates lessons that spark curiosity and innovation and invite positive productive struggle. Karen Karp is a professor in the School of Education at John Hopkins University. Previously, Dr. Karp was a professor of elementary math education at the University of Louisville. Her scholarship focuses on the intersection of mathematics and special education. She's the author and co-author of 23 book chapters, 50 articles, and 40 books, including Strengths-Based Teaching and Learning in Mathematics, Five Teaching Turnarounds for Grades K through 6 with Dr. Cobet. Dr. Karp is a former member of the Board of Directors of NCTM and a former president of the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. Recently, she won the Lifetime Achievement Award for Distinguished Service to Mathematics Education from NCTM. She also is a member of the U.S. National Commission on Math Instruction. So welcome, Beth and Karen. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I'm reading through your bio, just like, wow, you guys are busy. <laughs> so let's start with a, an easy question. How do you guys know each other? How did you guys come to work together on this book or just in the past? That is such a great question. Um, well, we've known each other, I don't know, for quite a while. Long time. Long yeah. time, yes. And um, probably through Skip to start with. Oh, yeah, Skip Fennel. Skip Fennel. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, we used to meet up at conferences and always take a little mini shopping trip here and there <laughs> <laughs> to Bond. 
Um, I, Karen had really encouraged me to get my doctorate and I had thought that that dream had passed and um, she really encouraged me slash pushed me. And um, that is, she's, she's a major uh, supporter of, of that um, work, that event. And that is actually what also helped us with this strengths, which we can talk about a little bit later, but it really fueled the learning and the um, development of this whole um, idea about how to motivate students through using strengths-based practices in the classroom and teachers as well. Beth, Beth was kind enough to include me on her dissertation committee um, at Johns Hopkins, and I got to know her work better, particularly appreciative inquiry, um, which just fired me up the way she presented it. And um, so the, the whole strength-based component really emerged from her work uh, and that study. So um, we've uh, uh, been having a lot of fun with it to say I think I think we want to hear more about the shopping trips. Yeah, that's well what I want to hear more about the, the shopping trips. <laughs> but uh, maybe that'll be episode two of, of, <laughs> of this podcast. Um, so speaking of the series, the conversations have been about bold leadership um, and thinking about equity and mathematics. And so, you know, one of the questions that uh, I have for both of you is what, what does equity mean, mean to you? So equity and, and really the, this work is centered in that first step of equity, which is to really think about the fair treatment of equitable access for students and this idea that not only are we um, you know, systematically working to provide an equitable learning environment, but we're also systematically working to break down the barriers that are not supporting students to learn mathematics. And those barriers occur in all levels, including the ways in which we choose to teach, tracking the ways in which we talk about our students, some of the vicious cycles that are just a natural part of uh, uh, school systems, just because they always have been, but also recognizing how those vicious cycles like assessment cycles where we, what do we do with assessment? We look at what students don't know and then we focus on what they don't know. We develop interventions around what they don't know and we just build and build this deficit thinking. So for for me and for us, this idea of equity is what are we doing that is making sure not the same treatment, but fair treatment that students are provided the opportunities to learn mathematics, show their brilliance, be recognized for the mathematics that they do know, and then working against the things that are preventing them from learning mathematics alongside um, their peers. Yeah, a lot of times people say, well, don't go in with a perceived preconceived notion. We actually want them to go in with a preconceived notion. And that notion is, is that all kids can handle and tackle challenges. And that um, reserving them or putting them aside for um, certain instances or certain children or um, expectations of perfect behavior is not the right approach. And um, in fact, it can be just the opposite. We'll talk more, I'm sure, about that. I also think one of the things behind this is that, th that every student is capable of learning mathematics versus this idea that it's elitist or that only a few people can. Um, and that 
if we have that belief, as Karen says, we make different choices in the classroom if we believe that. Yeah, so you guys uh, mentioned in your description of what does equity mean to you, this idea of um, thinking about mathematics through a different lens. So you talked, to, like I heard you say, the assessment cycle, focusing on what students don't know, and you, you call that deficit thinking, right? So if we're not deficit thinking, if we're thinking about students, thinking that all students can be mathematically brilliant, right? Um, how does that tie into the strength-based, instead of the deficit-based, the strength-based approach to teaching and learning mathematics? Because that is that is not what we've typically encountered in mathematics instruction, right? Or just, just in my own educational experience, it was always about what I didn't have versus what I did bring to the conversation. So what, what does that look like? And how does that strength-based approach enhance that equitable teaching in mathematics? So that I think the idea here is to leverage what you do know. So when, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation where you knew it was gonna be a hard conversation and somebody was, had identified the things you couldn't do. And so the whole conversation was gonna be around what you could not do and how you're gonna fix it. So once you hear that first thing that you didn't do well, what does the focus be become? It becomes you thinking, oh my, I gotta get out of this or how do I get this better? And in fact, what we're saying is, let's look at what students do now. Within every aspect of mathematics, there are children, students, adults coming to the math with seeds of knowing, things they do know. And when we say, when we sit down and we look at that and we say, well, how can we leverage that and, and actually think about, well, you know what's really interesting here in this solution pathway, you had a lot of good thinking here. What you did was you had two strategies that you used, made a number line, whatever it is that the student did. Now let's take a look at how we can use what you did right to leverage it to this piece to, to get you to the point where you, you know the mathematics that we're teaching or we can, we can help you learn the new mathematics that we're talking about today, the new learning. I think that students feel so much more confident and we know that they feel so much more empowered by the idea that, wait a second, you're saying I know something versus I don't know anything. And also this notion that everything is either all right or all wrong. You know, we, we got to work in mathematics to talking about this idea that there's lots of stuff right in math solutions that are that we can talk about versus not not just the answer being being wrong. And I think we've been talking about this for a really long time, but I don't think that we've been able to help ourselves and each other and one another and teachers think about, well, let's get down to the nitty gritty. What is it that is correct? And where am I trying to go? And really great math conversations come out of these, come out of this, these discussions. The, the other thing that really can come out, and this, Beth just reminded me this when she was talking about her examples, are the mathematical practices. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times kids don't really even know that's part of what they're supposed to be doing. But, you know, um, in the book, we talk about instances of pointing out when kids are persevering. And um, Beth did some great activities with students to signal to them, you're persevering right now. And this is a really important thing. And so those kind of mathematical practices, this is a, a, a showcase for them. 
and pointing them out and saying, I'm watching you and I'm noticing that you're doing this. And um, in some cases, we even talk about having other kids in the class notice kids' strengths. And that just turns everything on end. So um, we just are saying that it's, it's another approach that moves away from the way, as you said, Mona, many of us were reared in teacher education to diagnose, look for mistakes, find misconceptions, see where children are going wrong, identify barriers. I mean, it's just the way we were all taught. And to turn this all around is, um, you know, something quite different. And that's what we're asking people to at least consider. Hey, hey, Karen, go no, ahead. Go ahead, John, go ahead. Well, no, Karen, you, you strike a note with me thinking that you know, this notion of we have to fix students, right? Yeah. And that there's nothing to fix. We wanna take all the strengths they have and help them build upon them, right? And um, go ahead, Beth, I, I interrupted you. I know you had yeah. something to add there. Well, I was just gonna tell a quick story about um, a pre-service student teaching middle school math. And um, so the student, a student said, I, I just don't get this. I don't understand what's going on. I don't get it. And uh, we had been you know, talking a lot about strengths and ways to re reframe that idea when students say, I don't get it. Um, Karen and I call that uh, <laughs> CU seekers or conceptual understanding seekers. So actually that's a brilliant strength to be able to say, this doesn't make sense to me and actually voice that and be empowered enough to say, this doesn't make sense to me. So she stopped and she said- And I want it to, that, that's the underline, yeah. right? And I want it to. And I yeah. want it, right. So she said, uh, thank you so much for letting us know that this didn't make sense to me, to you. And that really helps me as a teacher think about what I'm going to do next or the next lesson. So I wanna stop right now and thank you so much for doing that. And the whole entire class was shocked. The student was shocked but so empowered. And they're really excited by this whole conversation. It just kept moving and moving. So I think that's an example of allowing student to own that, own that wonderful strength. Wow. Okay. So that is a great example of you know, just learning and for myself learning. Um, I've been fortunate enough to learn so much from both of you. Um, you both have helped me think about my leadership actions, about this topic, but so many more things from how do we support teachers and how do we think critically about the work and so on? And so my next question or our next question for you is, um, how do we help other leaders? How, what suggestions would you offer to mathematics leaders who want to pursue um, efforts for strength-based teaching and learning? Uh, where, where might they start? Um, one, of the, one of the things that we think that they can do is um, really focus on this deficit language because people don't even realize how frequently we use it. And I know when I'm working with doctoral students, they'll say, well, I'm looking for teacher's lack of knowledge. I go, if you look for the lack of it, you're gonna find the lack of it. Let's turn that deficit language around. And what do people know? What do students know? And so leaders need to, as they observe lessons, as they you know, listen to classroom conversations, they need to, make sure that they have this eye, this eye for turning things around to strengths-based. And that's not complicated. It's just a matter of careful, active listening. And 
um, this also requires that they ask teachers to possibly include in their lesson plans strength spotting, which we'll, we'll talk more about, I'm sure, um, where it's a conscious component in your lesson plan in the same way we always used to build in essential questions, a conscious plan at points to look, what strengths am I going to notice now? It's also gonna to be to include in parent-teacher conferences, start with strengths. We've done with that before, but let's do it differently. Be specific, what strengths in math do they have? And so I think that just turning this slightly to focusing more on that is a big deal. But here's the biggest deal. One of the things Beth and I have noticed, um, we actually had a book club we ran. It was a wild thing um, when the book came out and we just, Beth posted something and like 80 people responded and they came every week practically. And what we found is, is that what they're not good at is naming their own strengths in teaching math. And leaders could get on this fun activity of not only having teachers share what they think, because it's actually an action. It doesn't spill off their tongue. They actually have to think about it. And um, they, the principals could ask for that and add to it. I think that's very important. Teachers, teachers need a, you know, a jump start sometimes because it's hard, hard work and we all know that. And what, what do we do? We come home after it and go, oh, that lesson just didn't go the way I wanted it to. Instead of focusing on what was the best part of that lesson. And I think school leaders, coaches, principals, all the rest can be on the forefront of pushing that agenda. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, I'm thinking about doing observations now with classroom teachers. And one of the conversations we have is what are you working on? What do you want me to look for? But uh, I think a question I'm gonna insert right in front of that is, what do you do really well? Um, what are your strengths in teaching math? So that's a great takeaway. I appreciate that. Well, and even at the end of the lesson, once you have that, say, I have another to add. That's to right. That list of strengths you gave me before we even began. That's right. Yeah. I, I think one of the big pieces of that is once we, sometimes we ask that question and people just absolutely are stunned and can't ask. Um, and so one of the ways we get around that, and this is something that we learned from this appreciative inquiry work, is that you can identify a strength by identifying something, a time, a moment, an experience when you were teaching, when you've just felt so energized. It's like that moment when you're teaching and it's crystallized for you, like, wow, look what's happening. And you almost, it's almost, forgive me, it's almost an out-of-body experience because you're looking around the room <laughs> saying to yourself, look at what's happening. And it's not the whole lesson. It's just that moment, maybe when a student says something. And then what you do after that is you say, what was I doing? So we have to help people unpack their strengths by thinking about those moments. Then what was I doing right before that? And it usually has something to do with a question that was asked by the teacher, the task selected, maybe it's the environment, the environment is open. Um, maybe it's the openness of the space for students to share ideas, whatever it is, we have to sometimes dig a little bit to help people do that. So it's not just like the surface kind of, I'm good at building relationships. Well, what, how do you know that? Like, what, what does that mean for you? What does that look like for you? So really, doing, you know, working at that. And I think leaders can 
do so much to help foster that conversation so that I run next door and I say, you're not going to believe what just happened. And it's a good story, Mm -hmm. not a bad story. It makes me think of how you, when you work with teams, you're, or teams of teachers, you're working with them to engage in really deep reflective practices. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet it's not just a reflection of what wasn't working. It was a reflection of what, what is working and really taking those moments. And I, what you were describing to me, what came in my mind are those light bulb moments mm-hmm. in the classroom where like the kids just get like really excited about something. And like, I feel like a light bulb goes off and I'm, I always wonder, well, what, what, what did I do or what did they do to get to that moment? So that, what a great way to think about engaging those that you serve in that type of reflection. And that, that's kind of a, brings me to the next piece of it. So you gave us some really good ideas around where to start. Well, we are currently in an interesting time in education, right? Um, lots of change this year, lots of challenges with, with uh, just the pandemic and social unrest, all of the things going on in our, in our world right now. Um, what can leaders do to advocate for strength-based teaching and learning? Because listening to you all, I mean, we know that this is where we need more. We need more of this, right? To really support students and really empower students. So what are some things we need to do as leaders to advocate for this in our, in our building or in our systems? So this question keeps coming up because I mean, let's, let's look at what's happening really all around us, which is all about this deficit idea of learning loss and the different ways in which we're even describing how, how this is, what's happened. And I'm not going to discount that this has been incredibly challenging in many, many ways. So I think one of the first things we have to do is just um, mimic what Karen just said about planning a lesson, but actually planning for how you are going to, to, to um, identify strengths. So that might be the fact that as you're planning this instruction, what is the instruction going to look like? How are teachers going to know that this is the ways in which they're, they're gonna operate and, and students? How will students know that they're, they're going to be looked at for their assets versus their deficits? Will they know that? We have to actually plan for that. And and some of the ways that we can do that is to think about, is it really necessary? Are we going to be doing this tracking? Are we going to be positioning students with a belief mindset that they've lost so much that we're just gonna have to, this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna frighten the students um, because we've positioned it to be a lot of loss. But what if we plan to come in and say, we wanna know all the stuff you did learn We just really want to know that. And actually what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to find out all the things you did learn. And and it's not just going to be, uh, we want to know if you cooked or baked. We want to know about those kinds of things. We want to know if you did sidewalk chalk math. We want to know that. We want to know if you played games with parents and family members, cousins. We want to know those kinds of things because guess what? That's all going to fuel the mathematics that we're going to do in the classroom because just because you may not have turned in a worksheet or whatever it is that you were supposed to have turned in does not mean you didn't learn mathematics so planning for the celebration for what children have learned would be i think the first step 
And then the other piece is really going to be taking ourselves to task about the language and making this common conversation around, if I use the word low, <laughs> low babies, low students, you are to come up to me and you are to tell me you have my permission to, to help me reframe the language that I'm using because it will influence the work that I do when I walk in the classroom and talk to people. I tell my students all the time, if I talked about you in a particular way and then I walked in the classroom to teach you, I would make different decisions. So I choose not to talk about you in a way that is negative. And I even choose not to think about you in that way. So I think that one of the things that we need to do is be super transparent about those actions that we're gonna take and then hold all of our, we gotta hold ourselves accountable because it's super easy to kind of fall down the path because this is really hard work. It's really hard. And, it, and it's socially very acceptable to say, oh, you know, things are so hard. It's very socially acceptable. And it is a way in which we bond. Let's bond over the beauty and the strengths and the imaginations and the curiosity of um, our colleagues and the students that we teach. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, from what I think Beth we're done. That is fantastic. <laughs> true. Amen. I'm sorry, Karen, but, did you want to add something? No, no, no. I'm just, you know, thinking about what Beth is saying. And, um, you know, we know that we can cultivate these things. And um, some of the things, what we call our strength spotting, you know, this, this looking for. But oftentimes in the past, we've not looked in the right places. And so in the past, we've assumed that strengths are kids who get 100 on, on their, you know, multiplication fact papers, that those are your strongest math thinkers. And the fact is, is that we don't think that's true. Um, Beth and I have beliefs that sometimes it's the kid who's distracted, not paying attention, fiddling with something in their desk, possibly talking to their neighbor, passing a note or all of the rest because they're not engaged. And I don't mean not engaged that they couldn't be engaged. I mean that they're just, it's not interesting to them. And so we think that we should look for those students. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is, is that um, the University of Louisville was doing studies on um, they'd sw swarm a school with a bunch of researchers with handheld devices, and they'd watch the way kids were behaving in a variety of subject areas, obviously math, one of the important ones. What they were doing was looking at, what it was a part RTI kind of model and a part positive behavior supports. Well, when did the kids misbehave and when did they get sent to referrals to the office? Hmm, funny, math time. Oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> And so what they found was that this is a time when kids were doing something else. And I think we all know that if I were given um, a worksheet with a bunch of you know, computation problems, I'd probably get, be passing notes to Beth in 10 minutes, maybe no less. So you know, I think that we have to think of options for this. And, um, this first, as Beth and I have said, first level of look, look at some of these kids that are distracted and see what we can do to, you know, get them involved. Look for kids who like to do puzzles and are curious 
as Beth said, playing games, doing riddles, you know, things like that. Um, students who have creative answers are another avenue to, and I don't mean creative like something brilliant, I mean different thinkers. And I think that that's a group. Um, we used to have some math clubs for kids after school. It was really, to be frank, to get girls involved. And um, what happened was all these kids showed up that we didn't even anticipate. And they said, well, I'm interested. I wanna see what it is. And it cultivated a whole new crew. So uh, I think there's a lot of room for that. And I think um, by going on an antiquated, and I'll use that word, uh, approach of taking the kids with the highest scores and things and assuming that they are your strongest math students is um, a, a fallacy. Yeah, so you talked about distractions and some of those behaviors. I thought you were talking about my experience in school there for a moment. Uh, I was <laughs> passing the notes and what have you. So earlier, How do you Karen, think you... I know about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyhow. So Karen, you know the deficit language is a great challenge to this work. Um, and then you referenced strength spotting. And uh, as we just talked about thinking about next year, whatever, strength spotting came up again. And, and one of the examples I think I heard you say was talking about looking for students who like to do puzzles or you know certain things like that. Um, and, and that strength spotting is more than a 94% on a, on a test or something, right? So is there any other ideas or any other examples maybe that would help our listeners think about um, what it might look like in a lesson or anything like that? Just so we have a couple of ideas uh, moving into um, the new year. So there's so many different ways that you can think about it. It's about recognizing it. So for example, some things that, you, let's take the student who has a representation that they love to use. And they use it for everything. You know the ones I'm talking about. They have this great thing, and it's it you and it they they apply it to everything. So that's an actual real strength. And often our thought is, wait a second, we need to get them off that representation and doing whatever else we've decided we wanted to do. But what if we sat down and we said, this is really interesting to me that you always you 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 could you could turn any problem into a number line. I'm fascinated with this. Tell me a little bit more about that. And, and if you if you go to where they are and then you ask a question about it and say, so let's think about, you know, maybe we want to try a bar model. I wonder how a number line is like a bar model. Do you, would you be willing to apply, take your number line and let's use it there. So in other words, going down very specifically to the strategy or the idea that the student is using. And then you have to turn this question. It really means that we're listening and we're really paying attention. But that first act of saying, you know, this is a real strength of yours, that you can use it, you can see how to use it, you use it all the time. It's really interesting to me and I've been noticing that about you. That alone sets the course for this conversation that is mind blowing. And I've watched it happen over and over and over again where a student was literally staring at you, mouth hanging open. Are we having this conversation? Because usually somebody's telling me to stop doing that. So it's just reframing whatever you're seeing them do. I think the other thing is all of the mathematical practices that we see students do are other avenues for strengths. So the disposition. So it's not just about the knowing of math. And one of the things that we say all the time is you identifying my strengths are not in comparison to Karen or John or Mona. They're just mine to own. I get to have them all by myself, not in comparison to someone else. So 
um, in our early work, we did ask teachers to identify strengths um, of students who may be struggling a lot and they struggle to identify those strengths. And so we learned to say, don't compare the student to anyone else. Now look at that person as a human alone. What do you notice? And then the strengths come. So that's another technique to help us reframe it and be able to identify. I don't want to be compared to Karen Karp. I will lose all the time. So what I want is after that bio, yes. thousand publications and all of that. But I but I do appreciate being seen for who I am and what I what I'm doing. And I think we all do. Who does it? Who wants to walk in a classroom? Which classroom do you want to walk in? Walk in a classroom where someone says, I see you. I see you. And I see what you bring to this classroom. And I, and I know you. Or do I want to walk in a classroom where I'm being compared to other people and I'm going to fall short? I don't think so. So those, those, that little switch, just turning it around. And Beth, as you talk, you know, you make me think about sports and how we hear that all the time is about athletes. And I don't want to be the next, I want to be the first me. And that as teachers, as professionals, as people, we subscribe to that in all walks of life. Um, mm -hmm. Why we haven't um, brought that into math yet. Um, well, maybe now's the opportunity. Now's the time. Now's the time, right. And, and we need the teachers to be a team too. That's another mm -hmm. whole layer of things where they work together on this. And uh, collaborate, make it happen. I recently did an um, activity in my pre-service classroom where I asked them, they taught micro lessons to each other and they could only give strengths-based feedback to one another, no oh. suggestions at all. Nice. And the, what became of that was that then they had to listen to the strengths-based feedback, identify something they wanted to improve and leverage their own strength. They had to figure it all out by themselves. Amazing reflections, amazing thoughtful, ideas about what they did well. And they said, um, you know, over and over again, talking about what I did well and having other people see that made me feel like I could do this, like I could be a teacher, which is, you know, all we want. Well, and I think that there's no doubt, Beth, by starting something like that when they're pre-service teachers, you're preparing them not to feel the burnout as many of us, you know, feel when we or teaching that I just didn't do it, you know, this, or I didn't do that. And, and that just wears down. And um, this kind of like renewal, like kind of fountain of youth you uh, talked about there it is enough to give everyone energy to keep going and do the fabulous work that they can do. As you guys are chatting about this, it's making me think of uh, your mathematical identity versus your agency. And when, when students are in, embracing that self-talk around their own strengths, as well as when teachers embrace, as Beth, as Beth was saying, embrace that language, just think about the, the power of that language in terms of their own identity, and then in terms of what they can do with it. That's just awesome. So thank yeah, you guys. And, yeah, go and ahead. Mona, just one more thought. No, and you're making me think about a better normal. And I keep thinking that the conversation is let's return to normal. Can't wait to return to normal. And everything you talked about in this episode makes me think now is a great time to return to a better normal and strengths um, and, and assets and all of these things are a great place for us to start next year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, and I'm looking forward to hopefully when we can meet again in person and I might have to like 
cringe on your uh, shopping expedition because yeah. they knows me well. They know I love to shop. <laughs> uh, well, all are welcome. All, all are, welcome. are welcome. You too, John. That's right. I John. might wait for you at the reception area. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, you guys. Oh, thank you so much. It for was so much us. fun talking right. to you. Thank you Same for here. including this topic. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.